Salams and welcome to another episode of Network Reorient. Today we have with us Professor Salman Said responding to some of the criticisms of the recent definition of Islamophobia. So, Professor Said, please introduce yourself and the work that you do and have done on Islamophobia. Well, I've been writing about Islamophobias for about 11 years. Um, I and my co-author Abdul Karim Bakil organized a workshop in the University of Leeds which looked at Islamophobia from a global perspective. And we tried to move the debate of Islamophobia away from simply um, those things that concern um, Muslims to a broader issue about how Islamophobia affects the ability of citizens and residents to take part in a society. So we're moving away to thinking about Islamophobia not just as a form of um, maltreatment of a small minority, but really what it says about democracy, what it says about society and inclusion and justice. So in a way, we're thinking about Islamophobia already in terms of being a form of racism, which interdicts citizenship. Okay. Um, as you well know, the recent definition of Islamophobia has garnered uh, some controversy, but it's still been accepted by all the major parties, barring the Tories. Um, what would your response be to critique from certain sectors of civil society, such as the National Police Chiefs Council, who stated, and I quote uh, from their statement, there is also a risk it could also undermine counter-terrorism powers which seek to tackle extremism or prevent terrorism. What would, you, what would your response be to this? Well, look, it doesn't surprise me that there is a certain amount of um, resistance around um, trying to define Islamophobia. And nor does it surprise me that some sections of the police service are far more critical about the attempt to define Islamophobia than others. Um, you have to remember that the police hasn't historically been in the vanguard of fighting for equality and inclusion, whether it was around issues of um, um, anti-racist discrimination or homophobia. So the police historically have not led the way in being inclusive and dealing with these things. I'm glad to say that, you know, subsequently many, many police officers and police services have come on board, but did not start like that. So in many ways, with the opposition voiced by some sectors of the police service, hark back to these previous um, times, and the implication seems to be almost like saying, well, the only way you can good, do good police work is by being a racist because if you think you know that's what the logic is this yeah. and you know and I think years of good practice have demonstrated the fallacy of this both as a kind of a, a moral point but also as a much more fundamentally pragmatic point that good police work requires the absence of racism rather than the perpetuation of racism so it is disappointing when um, similar arguments are mobilized by um, very senior police officers in regard to saying, well, actually, for us to carry out our job, we have to engage in Islamophobia. Um, mm. That, it seems to me, is really highly problematic. Mm. Yeah, I would <laughs> agree with that. Um, 
Now, in the same report, we have another point of critique, and I would call it the freedom of speech critique. So, and I quote again from the same statement, we are concerned that the definition is too broad as currently drafted, could cause confusion for officers enforcing it, could be used to challenge legitimate free speech. What would your response be to this particular critique? Well, I don't agree that the definition is too broad. The definition which I think they're talking to is the idea that Islamophobia is a form of racism. Now, what they seem to forget is that the what we've had 50 years more of anti-racist work in the culture. So much so that now most people have a rough idea of what racism is, whether they're 10-year-old school children or they're 70-year-old pensioners. Mm. And that's a cultural understanding. It's not a legal understanding. It's not a professional understanding. But they kind of know what racism is. That's why stewards can stop people in uh, football matches and say, well, actually, this is, sounds a bit racist. Mm. This is, um, so in a way, there's already an understanding of racism that goes on there. So the question really is this, then why, by in clarifying that Islamophobia is a form of racism, you're actually making it far more specific? Because what you're saying is Islamophobia is a type of racism that targets Muslimness. You're not saying it um, targets Islam. You're not saying it targets Muslims. It's actually about Muslimness. Things, for example, a woman who has her hijab ripped off it's not because this is a, you know, this is not a theological dispute that's mm. happened. It is because of what that piece of cloth seems to represent. It represents a Muslimness. Um, you don't hear, um, similarly, you won't find very often, none having their habit ripped off. Mm. You could argue it's a very similar cloth, mm. uh, very firm head covering. So it is really about recognising that we are not in the 1950s or the 1940s. We are in a stage where in the general culture there is a rough, ready understanding of what mm. racism is. And if we understand that Islamophobia is a type of racism, it will actually make things easier for police officers, it will make things easier for professionals, mm. it will make e things easier for everyone to be able to say, well, actually, these kinds of behaviours are not something that we should be um, allowing or permitting um, in a society in which we want um, everyone to feel safe. So I think that's what the challenge mm -hmm. is. Now, if you abandon that and say, well, to be really identify Islamophobia, you need something so specialised, you need to know about the history of theological disputes and sectarian disputes, it's, it misses the whole point. That's not how Islamophobia is experienced. It's not how Islamophobia is practiced. And if the police job is partly one of public safety, and many would argue primarily of public safety, mm -hmm. then public safety must ensure that the ability of those who are perceived to be Muslims or who are considered to be um, or who are Muslims, are able to have, uh, to be able to enjoy their lives um, without uh, the, the sort of threat to their well-being. Mm. Okay. 
Uh, I want to move on now from the police chief statement to a couple of other um, critiques and criticisms that I and people who around me have uh, heard of the recent definition. So the first is, what would you say in response to concerns that the definition does nothing regarding sectarian divides? I know you've touched upon this in your previous answer, but I want to kind of... Sure push you on it a Look, bit. I think, let's be honest about it, um, yes, the definition doesn't say much about sectarian divides, it doesn't say much about climate, um, you know, climate change, and it hasn't got much to say about austerity. This is a definition of Islamophobia. Mm -hmm. It isn't supposed to be a definition or a concept understanding of everything that is wrong in the world. Now, the question is this, that why are we asking the question that Islamoph this understanding of Islamophobia should have something to say about sectarian divides. What they mean here is intra-Muslim disputes. Mm. That would be like saying that we can't have an understanding of racism unless we understand intra-disputes um, among uh, ethnic minorities. That doesn't really follow at all. Mm. Um, so I think that's the first problematic issue there, that there are many things that it doesn't do. It's not an attempt to argue that everything, all evil has to be contained in this definition or understanding of Islamophobia. It has a limited aim, and in fact, this shows one of the contradictions between most of its opponents. On the one hand, they say it's too broad, and on the other hand, they want to broaden it even further. You mm -hmm. can't have it both ways. So the point about this is the definition or the understanding of Islamophobia that I think is particularly helpful is to see Islamophobia as a type of racism that targets expressions of Muslimness and perceived Muslimness. That's it. Now, how that fits into um, other kinds of inequalities or cruelties is not really core to that understanding. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't require work, mm. but it doesn't invalidate this attempt mm. to articulate how Islamophobia can be best understood in this day and age. Mm. Okay, now I want to go on to um, what I see as the biggest um, critique of the definition and one that, I've, that is more or less ubiquitous amongst the opponents of the critique and it's just simply this. What do you say to those who say Islam isn't a race and therefore how can Islamophobia be racism? Well, I would say to them that this is definition isn't about Islam, it's about Muslimness. That's one of the current criteria. But then you could then someone could turn around and say, well, Muslims aren't a race then. Well, so that's then, a much more interesting proposition. But then I would put to them that, in fact, there is no such thing as race anyway. What we have is the process of racialization. So racism doesn't describe races. It describes the process of racialization. That is how populations are classified and grouped and imputed particular kinds of characteristics and particular kinds of behaviours uh, over the long uh, period. That's what racism is. Racism is really about racialization, not about the existence of races. Race, the existence of races is a feature of racism, but it is not the cause of racism. So if you want to say, well, Muslims are not a race, I would say to you, whatever that means, but that, let's accept that for a minute, what we're talking about is how Muslims are racialized and how they are considered so to be belong to a group that can be identified 
through various markers which are now part of the public conversation. So, for example, you have um, programs in the FBI, how to spot a Muslim, how to spot a radical Muslim, um, if they use inshallah in their conversation. Now, as you well know, inshallah is used by Arab Christians as well. It just has different kind of connotations, but that's one of the markers. But there's another telling thing that I saw. About a month ago, there was a clip on, um, I think on, on, on Twitter, where a man um, was on his phone in East London, in an area where there were mainly a uh, number of uh, school, where there were a lot of uh, Muslim pupils, Muslim girl pupils, headscarf going on there. And the diatribe he was giving on this, and he'd posted up there, was references to things like all of them are going to be breeding, all of them are, and he used the reference about to Mengele to get them sterilized, etc. Now, how was it that if Muslims are not a race, he so identified them as Muslims and used the language of classical forms of racism, scientific racism? Mm. So why would he suddenly, he wasn't saying about theological disputes, he wasn't saying that, you know, of course a divine is has three aspects and these people only believe in one aspect of it. Mm -hmm. He wasn't going on about that, he mm -hmm. was going about breeding, he was going on about how they needed to be sterilized, how all of them were there, and what identified them. How could he tell they were Muslims? Mm -hmm. He was using those visual clues. Markers, well, yeah. Now, so it's all very well mm. saying Muslims are not a race. Then how the hell, in that, he got off the bus, he could identify these people's faith. Mm. So I think there's a lot of red herrings about this, and part of it comes from, I guess, a lack of understanding about what actually constitutes racism, and partly it is the way that racism is so deeply ingrained. In, in culture and society, that we end up using it to understand the world and we think that it's a naturalization of the world, like we think the world actually does exist in these key categories which are racist, which are trans-historical. Mm. Um, but that example shows, really, this was not a racial reading in the sense of races, but it was showing the Muslims had become racialized. Mm. Okay, so so I'd be happy to hear what other people have to say against that kind of argumentation. But I mean, that seems to me really a total misunderstanding, mm. because the a thought experiment would be: if Muslims are not racialized, then there would be no way of being able to identify them um, in that kind of manner. Okay, I want to push back a bit against that because um, obviously I've. So you used the example of basically the hijab that he basically got off the bus and he saw the hijab. Now the hijab can be... No, he saw lots of Muslim pupils which he identified on the basis of the way they were dressed, on the basis of their, um, uh, their phenotypes, the basis of the area that he was in. There were all kinds of markers. Some were bodily, yeah. some were uh, geographical, some were to do with, you know, in terms of where he was. Yeah. That's how he was identifying them. But none of those in his diatribe, nowhere was there a question 
that have you said the Shada? That mm. wasn't how many of these people have, you know, <laughs> yeah. how many of these people have proclaimed there is only one God kind yeah. of thing. There's nothing theological in that. Someone could say in response to that, that isn't the hijab an Islamic piece of clothing and therefore doesn't the using that as a marker basically mean that it's a religious thing rather than okay, a racial we'll thing? Okay, take something like beards, right? Now beards can be Muslim or they can be hipster or sometimes they can be Muslim hipsters, yeah. right? But the point is that none of these signal markers are independent of the context of what they're articulated in. So mm. at this point, if you said a beard, a man in a beard, it doesn't mean, it can mean a number of things, but it, mm. you know, these are the kinds of, that's the whole point. These are markers and they're mobile. That's why we talk about Muslimness. They're not fixed. Or take something like what's happening in France now. As you know, in France for the last 10 years, or more actually, they have been uh, campaigning against Muslim uh, female students wearing the hijab. Mm -hmm. And finally the law was passed um, and it was banned. Now, uh, many headmasters and headmistresses in France are arguing that the length of the skirts of some of their Muslim pupils is too long. And that has now become a marker of Muslimness, whether they're wearing long skirts or shorter skirts. So, in a sense, what a marker is, is precisely that. It is a marker. It's not an intrinsic or essential feature. Now, you know, I don't think there's anyone who would say that a skirt is Islamic compared to uh, another kind of piece of clothing, etc. So it becomes, in those particular contexts, what it is. So this is why Muslimness, this is why, as you know, um, you mentioned, the first victim of, um, after the attacks on 9-11, um, was a Sikh who mm. was wearing a turban and who was killed because they thought he was a Muslim because he wore a turban. Mm. Uh, and this is not an isolated phenomenon. This is often the case that Sikhs are getting mixed up with Muslims. Mm. Now, you can multiply these examples manifold. Mm. Okay. I want to move on to something else. And actually, this is a question which uh, was directed at me and which I want to pass on uh, to yourself. Thanks. <laughs> no worries. Um, so you have said in the past that Islamophobia is an attempt to erase Muslim political agency. What do you mean by this and how is this borne out in the recent uh, definition of Islamophobia? Well look, the attempt to erase Muslim public, uh, political agency has many many different manifestations. Um, it can go from where you see in um, Burma, Rohingya, which is genocide, or in China with the Uyghurs, mm. um, but you can, or, or you know, Palestine or Kashmir. So there are hundreds mm. of places that you could put these cases, big and large. Mm. Um, but let's move to a more genteel setting of the kind of Western plutocracies, and there you can see how is Muslim agency will um, being erased. Well, the two ways. One is there's a constant kind of uh, attack on Muslim public figures who are not the right kind of Muslims. 
So that's one of the features mm. that often occurs, that a lot of the um, various neocon organizations single out Muslims for taking a public stance, etc. Secondly, and linked with that, is the idea that Muslim concerns are cannot or should not be raised in the public domain because they are somehow illegitimate or partial. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So you can see in different ways that, for example, um, the MCB and other organizations have tried to get the issue of Islamophobia to be investigated uh, compared to the way that, for example, anti-Semitism has been investigated and how um, um, it has been followed up by various organizations and how Islamophobia hasn't been. So I think all of these things, at the heart of it, is really the idea um, whether there can be a Muslim presence which is public. Mm. That's the real key here. And then that varies in context, etc. And it often means that are Muslims entitled to the same kinds of uh, privileges and same kinds of rights and same kinds of benefits that are given to other groups? So, for example, for a very long time, as you know, in this country, there was state assistance for Christian schools, state assistance for Jewish schools, but it took a long campaign to extend that to Muslim schools. Mm. And once you extend it to Muslim schools, then you know, Sikh and Hindu schools were also being included in that. So there is this kind of struggle in Iran to make Muslims um, a legitimate part of the public conversation. So that's one way that Islamophobia tries to erase that through any exercise of Muslim political agency um, constantly. And the, the def by defining Islamophobia as a type of racism um, actually recognizes that fact. So mm. What does racism do? Okay, racism violates, it's violent, it denigrates, humiliates. But ultimately what racism is doing is erasing this, the, the, uh, erasing those who are racially marked. Mm. It's erasing them from the public sphere. It's trying to um, subordinate them. And sometimes that erasure takes the kind of um, the pure form of um, total elimination, like attempted genocides, like for example the Holocaust, um, or various other kinds of genocides linked um, to basically wiping out mm. group. Other times it takes forms of apartheid, uh, where you basically segregate and subdue them, like Jim Crow, etc., through informal acts of violence. Um, other times it takes questions of you know, um, various ways in which those who are ethnically marked are considered to be not proper citizens and entitled to be part of the democratic project of mm -hmm. a society. Okay, Professor Said, thank you very much. This has been another episode of Network Reorient. Thank you for tuning in. Please have a listen to some of our other episodes and leave a rating.